Tonight in Arkansas, there's a mother tucking in her daughter and turning off the light. A business owner is burning the midnight oil. An at-home dinner date is plating up possibility. And it's all happening under one roof. How? The power of a conversation. Like the one John from Integrity Solutions had with First Horizon Bank about his vision for a sustainable mixed-use building. Now it's not just words, it's life. First Horizon Bank. Let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash John. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. They're not the good guys. They're not the bad guys. They're the other guys. Wait, wait, wait. Who the heck are these guys? This is the Finishing Move, the other guys podcast. With your hosts, the bearded wrestling fan, Chris Colwell. And Finishing Move intern, David Holloway. They're breaking down all the latest in professional wrestling, and they're not just covering the big guys, they're covering the other guys, too. It's The Finishing Move, The Other Guys podcast, and it begins now. Again, though, who the heck are these guys? NXT has delivered once again, and even with slightly less buildup than they normally do. Everyone, welcome to the first edition of The Finishing Move's newest podcast featuring... The other guys, I am David Holloway. You all know me as the NXT expert of the finishing move. Also, I'm quite an aficionado of AEW as well. But joining me today is, you know him, you love him. It's the bearded man himself, the shot master, Mr. Chris Colwell. Chris, we finally talked to our boys upstairs. They've given us the clearance and we are finally getting our chance to have our own show, man. Yeah, how about it? I don't know about being loved i'm not so sure that our faithful our fan base really loves me well, i love so you much. man so Although, that's that counts and your wife uh, loves hey, you so I that counts too that. <laughs> hey i appreciate that but yeah no we're doing this podcast here the other guys podcast a part of the finishing move family of shows which you know you and i i think we share a little bit more love for not just the big companies like wwe or i mean even aew but you and i kind of dive more into a little bit more of the indie stuff and obviously nxt is kind of on that they're like the indie of WWE, so we're both big NXT fans. We're fans of some other stuff out there. So this is kind of what this podcast is going to be looking to do. And it's not just that we're the other guys. I mean, obviously, Road Dog and, and Big John were the originals, the OGs, if you will, of the finishing move. I came along later. You were their expert for NXT. So you and I are kind of like the, the other guys of the show. And not just is it us hosting, but we've got... You know, sort of what we're going to do here is look into the other guys that are out there, not just NXT, not just AEW, but look at, you know, in NWA whenever they come back or MLW, Impact Wrestling, some of the other companies out there, maybe even some New Japan, just get into more because there's more wrestling out there than just WWE, SmackDown, Raw, or even AEW. So it's good to get a chance to talk to it. TakeOver was great the other night. It was good to see them get back kind of on track after TakeOver 30, which I thought was kind of underwhelming, but. It's good to see him back. I'm glad to be doing the show with you, man, because I'm pretty sure the last time I saw you in person, we were sitting pretty dadgum close to the ring for AEW Dynamite here yeah. in Atlanta a long time ago, pre-COVID, when you could actually gather uh, in a crowd. And, man, that was a great night. Dude, that was so much fun. AEW put on a fantastic show. And, yeah, you're correct. The WWE, there's just so much going on. But at the same time, you got to look at the outside, man. Look at the outside, what all of pro wrestling has to offer because WWE is fun and all. However, the indies, they usually put on far greater performances than WWE has in decades. I mean, NXT is a prime example of this. Every time that NXT hosts a takeover event before a pay-per-view, it always outshines them. And WWE, the main roster, has to follow that up, and it never ends 
up anywhere close to what the NXT TakeOver show was. No, not at all. And you just look at it. I mean, I think the problem is with Raw and SmackDown is that, you know, you're you're trying to build this half contrived storyline that this WWE uncreative, as Big John likes to call him, you know, like they try to put together and the show's based around whatever storyline there is. You feel like NXT puts a little bit more focus on the wrestling with the storylines kind of being just a part of it, which is kind of the way it's supposed to be. When you're too gimmicked out, you kind of struggle, especially when the storylines aren't good. If the wrestling is great to kind of back it up, you can kind of go along to see where the storylines are go from there. And I always feel like that's kind of what NXT does. They don't always hook you with their storylines, but man, they always bring the wrestling. Yeah, they definitely do. And you see this when you see main roster talent or NXT talent, I should say, get called up to the main roster, such as Bo Dallas is a prime example of this. He was on fire as NXT champion. He was there for... The champion for, I think it was around 340 some odd days, I think was his reign. And then when he comes up the main roster, he's dead in the water. Also, you saw that with um, Keith Lee's kind of trending that way as well because Vince has no idea what to do with him. You also got yep. people like Mia Yim you got, and um, Mercedes Martinez who are getting caught up in this new um, retribution gimmick with <sighs> Dijakovic and also Shane Thorne and um, Dio Madden. Spoiler alert, sorry folks, not really. Oh my. No, 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 no. Hold on a minute. No, no. They're T-Bar and... T-Bar, Mace, and Slapjack. And Crowbar and uh, Torque Wrench and whatever other names they have. I mean, what a and stupid storyline. I think the stupidest thing is... another podcast. The stupidest thing I think is Slapjack's name. And uh, my God, CM Punk had the best tweet out when he said, that when you find a paper plate back in catering and make it into a mask... <laughs> That was, that, was, that was that fantastic. was fantastic. Anyway, so let's skip all the crappy gimmicky stuff out of WWE and focus into the main event, which is NXT TakeOver 31. First of all, I just got to say, NXT's new setup. Oh, my goodness. What a fantastic job they did with the Performance Center. The Capital Wrestling Center, as they're now calling it. That looked absolutely fantastic. The Tritontron, the lights, everything was phenomenally set up. The It looked so much better than the Thunderdome did, I think. I mean, yeah, you kind of ha- you did have the the added bonus of the actual like apparently there were actual fans if they were family they were, or whatever. I think they were not performance just, center performance center well, guys were, like they did. I from think from what I read and what I heard that you had the PC, the performance center guys, the trainees, but you also had a mix of some actual fans that maybe were friends of some folks or family, and they were all COVID tested coming in there. So and they, and they had created pods. They weren't just you know what you could tell on TV was you had, obviously, that plexiglass that they've had, just like hockey, uh, where they blocked it, where, the obviously, whoever's standing there ringside can't push particles across into the ring, right? And you yeah. also had that fence set up, but apparently on the other side of that, there were actual pods that were also set up like plexiglass, almost like the Elimination that's Chamber That's what I was pods. going with. That's why I was going to... That was where I was thinking you were going, was the Elimination Chamber, exactly. It's kind of that little... Um, area to yourself i thought that looked actually pretty cool on um, the fencing well, on the outside it did but um my thing was and I, I like that they tried to implement what they did with the thunderdome i like having the virtual fans there i love the entrances that looked really cool when you they got did. the you know like when damian priest is coming out and you've yeah. got that whole live forever thing and I it's going that. all around the the set I, I thought that part was really cool i thought the entrance way looked great the only complaint i had about it and it's i mean it's not their fault they're working in the conditions that they have. They're working in the situation. They wanted to have some live folks there, and apparently Full Sail wasn't going to allow that. So, and, and they they want to make it look somewhat different than Raw and SmackDown. So you couldn't just take them and put them at the Thunderdome setup at Amway, right? So right. 
they're working with their condition, but you notice how like with the Thunderdome setup, the video boards are set up in the rows, so it looks further back. The arena looks bigger because they just did a f- straight up flat screen, right? For the uh, Capital Wrestling, kind of like what they did the NBA NBA playoffs. I think they had like a flat screen in their arena too. Exactly. To me, it felt like. They were in a really tiny space trying to wrestle, and obviously yeah. they are. They're at the performance. Yeah, center I mean, like you saw what Capital they had. Wrestling center. You saw what they had when they were doing Raw and SmackDown from the performance center. Exactly. It's just something about the video almost made that space feel even tinier. That was the only thing I didn't like about it. Otherwise, I thought with the technology and everything they could do, you could tell that they updated the lighting in there because you know if you go back to WrestleMania and go back to Raw's and SmackDowns during that time when you could see they had some basic lighting that they could do in the Performance Center, but you didn't really have anything really good that looked state of the art. And they clearly fixed that. They've got great lighting in there now, uh, great uh, just kind of that like laser show looking effect to it, uh, and I really like that. So. I mean, it's a cool setup. You know, I had a minor little complaint, but otherwise, I think they've done a great job with it. I agree with you there. Um, so let's get on to the events itself. Well, first, we had the kickoff match, which was Johnny Gargano going on to face Damian Priest for the North American title. Um, all in all, I thought it was a great match. Johnny Gargano being the speed, Damian Priest being the strength and power. Uh, they kind of showed that off to kick off the match. Johnny Gargano avoiding all the powerful moves by Priest, and then Priest eventually catching him with the boot. And uh, they kind of played off the whole speed and power, but then they also played off Johnny Gargano's cunning, all his um, sneaky ways to try and pick up the victory. I thought the Gargano way, the Gargano way. Yes. That he's kind of um, sewn into the brain of his wife as well. They also kind of played into the fact that they could be the him and Candace could be the first couple power couple in NXT and um, kicking off the kicking off the way. I think the North American title match was all in all a really good match. I think it was good placement for that match, too. I think that's a good one to open up with. It's a solid match. It's a solid matchup in general. Gargano is fantastic. He's been, I mean, <laughs> he's been obviously like the, the stable of NXT since he well, came. He is yeah. the, you know, they, they used to call him that as in storyline, the heart and soul heart and of soul, NXT. Yeah. And I think you cannot argue that even in this new heel persona. He's still the heart and soul. He's been the fabric, really. I mean, he's been the guy that's been consistent within that brand for the last four years. I mean, he, along with Ciampa, who's unfortunately had lost a, a good chunk of time due to injuries, both his neck and his leg. Um, so really, Gargano's been that guy. Nobody else has, can say that they've been there that long and done had that much of an impact, had that many great storylines, held as many titles as he has. Gargano has been, he's I mean, a grand when you think of champion. NXT, really, you kind of think Johnny Gargano now. Uh, and I kind of would have liked to have seen you know, Priest obviously gets the win here. Um, when they they tease the idea that Gargano might win with, uh, you know, with as you said, his cunning ways, with his Gargano way, trying to cheat to win. We had a, a, some security bump, which I thought was really creative. That was great. I like that. I liked how Priest kind of flipped clearing over. Clearing the turnbuckle. Yeah. That was that was, was a nice impressive. move. He, he yeah, knocked out the security guard, and then Johnny Gargano kicks him square in the wedding tackle, right? As Wade Barrett called it. Um, he, he just kicked him square <laughs> down low and then tried to get the win there, but the ref couldn't get there quick enough to get the three count. Um, also, one thing I noticed out of that match, Johnny Gargano, yes, he is definitely the heart and soul. He's Mr. Takeover. Mr. Takeover. He's, I think he's had the most appearances at NXT TakeOver and any other superstar in NXT oh, history. Be. Yes. Um, he's also, I think he's the first ever Grand Slam champion. I could be wrong on that. Um, tag team champion, NXT champion. Well, and 
and North American. Yeah, champion. I, I guess not Grand Slam, but uh, Triple Crown. Triple Crown. I think that's the way. I think they're calling I think it Grand there's Slam. There's four titles for him to win within. Unless yeah, he unless he cruiserweight title. Unless, yeah, or unless he puts on a wig and goes on the women's title like Santino Morello tried to Ooh. do. <laughs> it's twenty. Janice Gargano. It's twenty twenty, man. Anything can happen. Um, so <laughs> that's true. <laughs> We did have a, a wrestler in drag win WrestleMania, Miss WrestleMania back in WrestleMania 25. Let's, so let's not go back there. Why do that to our <laughs> listeners? As much as I love Santino Morella, I can't believe they did that to him. And he even made an appearance like that in WrestleMania in the Royal Rumble last year. <laughs> so yeah, 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 uh, that was a waste of a good yeah, Royal Rumble okay. spot. But I that's think that was supposed to be Victoria's there. spot, but I think that fell through because I remember there was rumors Victoria was going to try and make an appearance there. But that would have been really cool. I would have loved that. Would have been as those that have listened to the show know my wife's name's Victoria. So that would have been neat <laughs> to be like, hey, hey, you're hey. you're you're in the Rumble. She's a big Bailey fan, but oh, I don't know, she obviously doesn't know who Victoria is because well, she hasn't been. She's been watching as long yeah. as she's known me, and that's I don't know that she necessarily pays attention. But right, um, yeah, that would have been really cool. But yeah, the thing about that match, um, I mean, obviously, great, great back and a good story, great back and forth with the two. You know, I like Damian Priest, and I think he's really yeah. good. I, I really would have liked to have seen a Gargano win here, only because, and I've been looking for this even back to when Gargano faced Keith Lee back earlier in the year at a, a takeover. I think that was the in the, in your uh, in your house. Yeah, one. it was in your house. Yes. Um, I want to see what a heel Gargano as a champion would look like. We that would be interesting. They teased it a little bit when he first won the North American title a few years ago when he was right. Kind of when he was with to, Champa, right? Right. Well, when he was still feuding with him, but. Yeah, the kind same of time, trying kind to of, like, they look up to him in a way. Yeah, that was kind of a weird angle, but yeah. Uh, and then they had that for, that like small little stint in the main roster when they went up for like a, like two weeks and then came back, and then they had that ta- they yeah. tagged up in the um, in the Dusty Classic that for like a well, match. yeah, they they got called up, and I, th- and then, I think that's when Champa got hurt. That's why that, they, yeah, they that's didn't right, last they, because yeah, he, he hurt his neck. That's right, but. Yeah, that, they they teased him in that heel kind of spot then, but they they didn't really pay it off because the ultimate goal was to get to the re- the <laughs> like fifteenth match between Gargano and Ciampa, but that right. time for the NXT title at that takeover, which unfortunately we didn't get because of Ciampa's injury. But now you know we've got full fledged Gargano. There ain't no doubt about it. Now you can't question it. I would have liked to have seen what a heel Gargano would have looked like in NXT as the North American champion, but. Damian Priest did just win the title back at uh, TakeOver 30 back in August, so maybe it was too soon for him to lose the belt. I don't know that he necessarily needed it. I mean, I think he's kind of gotten over pretty well so far, but right. uh, I think they decided at this point it's probably best to leave the title on him to let him build some credibility. Yeah, I agree. I'm, I'm going to say this. This is a very unpopular opinion, I would feel like. But back at 30, I think that Cameron Grimes should have won the North American title just because I would love to see him the, be the obnoxious champion. Like, um, there was another champion like him, uh, if I remember correctly. I'm trying to remember who it was, but um, so he held Bo like... Bo Dallas? Yeah, Bo Dallas. Thank you, thank you. That's There it is. That Yeah, I would love to see him like as a Bo Dallas-like champion. I, Cameron Grimes fits that perfectly with being obnoxious with his catchphrases like, to the moon and all that. Yeah. He, well, you hear that Triple H on yeah. his uh, one of his conference calls the other day was saying it would be really cool to see him as champion because there's that that whole point picture thing that he's there's like it's kind of become a running thing with within NXT that when somebody wins the title there's right. a picture Triple H takes with him points at him he wanted to do the thing where Cameron Grimes was on the moon with the flag behind him that would have been funny helmet and everything that'd be kind of neat but you know with Cameron Grimes that's a guy that you know you see what he's got from that character standpoint in NXT and if for folks out there that have followed TNA and Impact Wrestling over the years, you know, he was in Impact for 
several years as Trevor Lee. I think he was like an X Division name. champion or a tag team champion at one he point. He was X Division champion twice. But we never got that kind of character out of him. He just was kind of there as yeah. a heel champion, and he was just a wrestler and cheated a little bit. He was kind of like McGillicuddy. I think he's like personality. It's like McGillicuddy and Otunga when they were tag, tag, tag champions. They were just there. They didn't really have much personality or anything like that when they held the belts back when they were the next. His Nexus. name was McGillicuddy. Why, I mean, why would he ever succeed in that role? <laughs> Poor Curtis Axel. I mean, he could have at least played off his dad, his dad a little bit more back in the day, but that's a whole other topic right there. That would have embarrassed the legacy of Kurt Henning if he if Michael McGillicuddy would have tried to have been. Yeah, I mean, at least wait like until he got the Mr. Curtis Perfect Axel type yeah. character. Yeah, as much as I loved Curtis Axel as a wrestler, man, he just never really had it going. Anyway, so yep. the first match in the books. Now we move on to the next one. This match, I think, uh, was underrated. It was Kushida versus Velveteen Dream. This one did not have much buildup because it only had about maybe two weeks worth of material because Kushida was going for the uh, number one contendership and Velveteen Dream cost him his opportunity and Kushida lost his mind and attacked Dream in retaliation. Velveteen Dream coming out dressed as Doc Brown. Now, that was very well played, playing off the fact that Kushida is like Marty McFly in Back to the Future. He loves to utilize that in his gimmick. But one thing that I really liked to see was Kushida's dark side, like to see him come after the Velveteen Dream in the opening bell. Now, I'm always, me and Big John, we're both like big Velveteen Dream fans. I love the Velveteen Dream, but I did not, I just don't like seeing him get beat like this. But at the same time, I'm okay with it because Kushida is going to get a really big push. Mm -hmm. And Velveteen Dream, I think, is getting more of a kind of a punishment for all that he's gone through in the past couple of months when he's doing his inappropriate activities, so to speak, is the best way to put it. And we'll see They're him unproven re- at this point. Unproven. Innocent until proven, innocent until proven guilty. But he'll get his rebound eventually. But for now, it's Kushida's time, and I think that they did this very well. Yeah, if they're if they're never gonna if they haven't put the title on him already, if he's not going to be NXT champion, he's really not going to reach any other level. I think in NXT, I think he's kind of maxed out because he's been around a minute. And unless you send him to Raw or SmackDown, he's not really going to go any higher than that. He's almost reached the same level that Johnny Gargano has reached. Where Gargano's to a point where, you know, can you really elevate Gargano anymore? You really can't. You can see character development one way or the other but at this point it's almost as if Gargano's more of all right he's the established guy now let's put over a guy like Damian Priest let's put over Keith Lee Velveteen Dream has reached that point where all right let's use him he's a character that you know got over and people recognize him now as NXT fans let's get this new guy Kushida had never had a one-on-one match at TakeOver before which I feel like he's been in the company for a little bit now the fact that that hasn't happened yet is kind of mind-blowing but it's been about a year at one point yeah, it's still the fact that he hadn't had a takeover. Yeah, I, I mean, he's like a he world had a takeover re- match at all. He's a world renowned name, and I'll yeah, he hasn't had a takeover match. I believe that Kushida is probably one of the biggest prospects to come out of Japan in a while. I mean, he was like what a junior heavyweight champion multiple times in in Japan. And, uh, and multiple doesn't do it justice. He was constantly winning the junior heavyweight title over there. Yeah, he's he was a, a focal point in that division. He's a big name out there in Japan, and he came over to WWE and he was very stagnant for a while with his hum with this humility and all this humble activity out in, in when he first came out. Now that he's starting to break out of that and started to get into a little bit more of a dark side, a little bit more of a mean streak, I'm getting more intrigued with him now. I mean, with his attack post match too, and he just kept drilling on on Velveteen's left arm and pretty much destroyed it. I thought that was very well played, and I thought that was a very good way to get him over as possibly a heel, maybe a baby face. We don't know, but I think that the fans would probably react positively to that. 
Well, and Velveteen Dream's kind of been reestablished as a heel since his return from being gone for, you know, for whatever reason that is. You know, look into that however you want. But uh, I think he's kind of the heel in this situation. Yeah, it's brought out the aggressive side of Kushida, which, I mean, look, if you've been a fan of his for a long time, you know his work in New Japan. Obviously, the, the Back to the Future gimmick is really cool and everything, but he's not he's more than that. The problem is, is that with the language barrier issue with him, much like it's been with Shinsuke, much like it was with Kenta as Hideo Itami, you have to do something other than just have them come out as their characters. They have to have, you know, some aggressiveness or something to change the character. I'll be honest with you. I'm kind of surprised that when Kushida got to NXT that the the Marty McFly character thing really stayed. I'm surprised they didn't try to... Obviously, he, we know he can go. We know he could wrestle... And you could have altered that or you could have kind of gave him a, a kept the name, just give him something fresher that would be, I guess, have that quote unquote WWE stamp on it or something that they could then, you know, take from a storyline perspective and creative and, and kind of, you know, get in there and create some layers to this character uh, that people kind of know the name, but maybe they don't know. You know, to me, the, the Back to the Future thing, just if that's all he is then it's very one-dimensional. You have to expound on it. And they've done that now with adding that level of intensity to his character because, now, okay, now he's lost out on two different opportunities, one for the North American title and now one for the, the NXT title at the hands of Velveteen Dream. So he's pissed off now, right? So he wants to right. get revenge. And Dream tried to take him out at one point. So, yeah, he's a little angry. And he might lose it a little bit. And that's going to only serve to help him because, you know, he was kind of bordering on that. He's almost too nice. Is he really going to – okay, Kushida's a nice character, but what are we really going to – you know, is he really good enough to be NXT champion? Well, there's aggressiveness – it's going to show folks what he can really do. I'm seeing more so the facts of some Io Shirai in him a little bit. Like when she mm. first came up, she That's was a all very good. Yeah, comparison. she was very smiley and all like showmanship and all that. She'd always come out with that mask on her hand and everything. But then when she turned on Candice LeRae, oh my goodness, it was like a complete 180 with her. And then she just turned into the Joshi Judas and just. As a heel, she was fantastic as well. And then now now she's adapted herself as the NXT Women's Champion. And if history repeats itself, we could see the belt around Kushida's waist very soon. Io Shirai also builds a lot of credibility with her heel persona. Now it's turning more toward face, just like Damian Priest did. No, absolutely. And it's going to... <laughs> Priest is somebody... Yeah, I'd kind of forgotten about the fact that he was really heel in the company. but He was heelish, yeah, but I mean, he never really kind of... Like went full on heel, but he was he did have heel he was, tendencies. He was the badass heel. Yeah. Which the badass heel, you know, you can get that can only take you so far as a heel because eventually the fans are going to be like, "Hey, oh, this dude's this dude's pretty bad." You know, I think I like, like this guy. I'm gonna start cheering him now. So yeah, kind of like what they did with Ambrose when he went what bad. Happened with him. Right, exactly. I mean, in reality, all you've got to do <laughs> with somebody like a Damian Priest in that situation is to take take him and put him take that same, you know, intensity and, and just toughness that, but it's been used in a heel way and turn it and put it onto a heel. And that makes him baby face. It's real simple to do that. It's, it's when you get, you know, Gargano is like a true heel right now. I mean, he's the yeah. guy that he's like, no doubt he's trying to cheat to win. He's the arrogant he one. No he's always, he's always exactly. like being very snarky towards his opponents and all that kind of telling them how they, how much they suck and how they'll never live up to him and whatever. Yeah. yeah I think that priest, you I could almost argue that there's, 
other than Gargano and Loray and Cameron Grimes, are there any real true heels in NXT? Because I don't think there are. I really don't think I mean, so either. A lot of, but I mean, like there was when positioning. There was when Adam Cole was around the Undisputed Era. Those I think those guys were true heels, like the pack of dogs mentality they had when they were the era when the era was together. Um, you had David Priest. And then what happened? Eventually that yeah. got over and they, got they became baby faces. Been, I also I feel like they've been over since they were heels. Uh, there were a lot of people who still yelled Adam Cole baby, and there was a lot of people cheering him on anyway. So right. maybe, how can you not? Yeah, everybody loves those guys. And when Roderick Strong joined them, I think Roderick Strong got a lot of heat too when he joined joined the era after turning on Pete Dunne at, at um, Takeover. So I think that that was a that was a one heel moment there as well. So no, no, absolutely. Yeah. So now we'll move on to the cruiserweight championship, and I feel like this matchup didn't really get a lot of attention since there was a lot of focus on the uh, Legado del Fantasma as a whole rather than just purely Santos Escobar. But because they would always six man tag with a lot of people and the Brizongo would get involved and there was a lot of uh, Swerve Scott was there for most of it. But I think the main thing was Drake Maverick and, and uh, Santos Escobar. And then somehow he drifted away when he kind of went with Dane. And now that we got purely Escobar versus Swerve Scott and we got into this fantastic match. Cruiserweight title always brings out the best in people. I feel like the lesser title, uh, not lesser titles, but lower down the card titles, they bring out better matches than the main car, the main title itself. And this is pure proof of that. Isaiah Swerve is a fantastic talent, and so is Santos Escobar, um, protecting the Lucha Libre heritage. I'm liking that. And also the fact they pointed out that Swerve Scott did participate in some Lucha Libre himself when he was in Mexico really added more to the story there. Here's my thing with this. I, I thought the match was fantastic. I thought it was, it was great. I thought it told a great story. Uh, they really, for lack of a better way, and pun intended, no pun intended here, uh, they swerved me into thinking that Scott was going to come away with it here, especially once uh, you had the equalizer, uh, the eliminate La, Ashanti the Adonis, and that came yes, out. Yes, yes. That, that guy um, who I hadn't seen a whole lot of, so I can't really talk mostly, about him all that much. I think but, he mostly jobbed in Raw for a bit and then NXT as okay. well. He was mostly a jobber. And then I think now that Hasn't he been on 205 Live a little bit lately? A little bit, yeah. I think he had a couple of squash matches in 205 Live. He's been squashed a few times, but I think now this may be his opportunity to come out and show us what he can really do. I think there's going to be a little pairing between him and Scott for a little bit until he can break out on his own. I'll be honest with you now. I... I I love other wrestling outside of WWE and more than just Raw and SmackDown, but I'll say this, and I love NXT. I could care less about 205 Live. I mean, that is one of the worst shows that you can watch as a wrestling fan, just like trying to watch main event. It was so promising when it first came out, but then they just ruined it with the gimmicky stuff. And then, man, when the Cruiserweight Classic came, that was phenomenal. That all those matches back in, I think it was 2015. All those matches with the Cruiserweight Championship. Gargano versus Champa in the first round. Then you had the run of Brian Kendrick, the Cinderella story. You had K- Kota Ibushi coming out and TJ Perkins and Cedric Alexander and also uh, Raul Mendoza. Rich you had, Swan. Rich Swan was there. You had Drew Gulak. You had a, a load of talent going into that tournament. And then you had this own show dedicated to these guys and a whole division. And you throw it on Raw. Biggest mistake they ever made right there. Why would you throw that on? Well, I know why they would do it, obviously, as filler. But, I mean, come on. That's one way to kill a division is to put it on Raw. 
Well, I understand what they were trying to do because you right, it was right around the time that they did the new version of the brand split. Right. Raw had the three hours to fill. Oh, let's try to recreate Nitro with the Cruiserweight division. Why not? The problem here is, and it's I'm going to say this, as much as I love this match, I don't think the Cruiserweight division should exist anymore. And here's why. What made the Cruiserweight division in WCW unique was that nobody else wrestled that style else on the card. Most of the heavyweight wrestlers were slow, told stories. They didn't do all the flip-flying stuff, right? Now the majority of the main wrestlers on the on all that flip-flying, even if they're 6'4", you know, these guys are wrestling, you know, the majority of professional wrestlers now are a lot more athletic than they used to be. 20, 25 years ago. And to me, what it comes off as, especially, and this was the problem with them putting it on Raw to begin with, is that you had guys, you would sit there and watch these guys, they look, they wrestled not much more different than Seth Rollins or Kevin Owens, who were going after the Universal title at the time. Yet these guys had really no character development. They were smaller. Why should I care about them? You, you, It's like they didn't stand out enough because... The whole purpose of the cruiserweight was to create like kind of a car crash environment. Well, the car crashes exist everywhere now. It's all along the card. They should have never been a part of Raw, and it also should have never left. You talked about the cruiserweight classic. It worked because it was at full sell. It was in that same environment that makes NXT flourish because you have a certain type of fan, right? You have the diehards, those really smarky fans that are sitting there that are really getting into it. They would have left if they would have launched 205 Live as his own brand, separate from everything else, and had it be just from Full Cell. I think it might have had a shot because then you could have really developed the characters into more than just, hey, these guys are cruiserweight wrestlers. The problem is they never did that. It was it's been dead in the water for a long time. And to me, I look uh, again with NXT. Johnny Gargano is a is a cruiserweight, but he wrestles for the North American title. Finn Balor and Kyle O'Reilly are cruiserweights but they wrestle for the NXT Championship. What makes the NXT Cruiserweight title different from the North American or the NXT Championship? There is no difference. So what's the point? You hit the nail right on the head there, man. That is very true, especially when you see, like, like when Daniel Bryan first came out. I mean, there, everybody was always saying, like, oh, this guy takes too many risks. This guy is always flying all over the place. There's no way he'll win a, win a major title. But wrestling, all wrestlers with big names are like that now. Like you said, I mean, I totally, you, you're totally correct there. I mean, but I just feel like the Cruiserweight title is another title, yes. But I think there's certain things about it that kind of bring a little bit more interest because with that, you kind of feel like you get more, more fast-paced, high-flying action with it, which we clearly saw with this match. But yeah, you're correct. It was just a, it's it's become just too much blended in with everything nowadays. And although I do enjoy watching Isaiah Swartz Scott, he's he's right on the teetering on the edge between Cruiserweight and uh, a little bit. On the, um, I guess a welterweight would be the best way to describe it since he's not necessarily a heavyweight, but he's he's kind of teetering on the edge there between like a cruiserweight and a regular talent. Well, no, for real, and and for sure. And you look at, I mean, you know his career. He was uh, he's had the swerve nickname forever, but I'm blanking on what his name was on the independent scene. He was he was the heavyweight champion of MLW at one point, so he can be a heavyweight style wrestler. The thing with NXT is that the majority of the roster. Are kind of junior heavyweight, light heavyweight, right, like in Jap- cruiserweight like style size wrestlers. Like, yeah, you have a few guys like a Velveteen Dream. That's kind of a heavyweight guy. You've got, um, I'm trying to think, Rich I mean, Holland. The, 
Rich Holland, you've got Bronson Reed, and Damian Priest. Everyone else, pretty much kind of in that cruiserweight area, old, the Undisputed Era, all of them, cruiserweights. I used to say that I thought that if the Undisputed Era ever did get the, the you know, the, they called them up. I hate saying that because, you know, you heard you say it earlier when you're talking about getting the call up and all that. And I'm, I always fight that because I see NXT as the third brand and not as. Yeah, they're not developmental so anymore, no. It's a it's a lateral move, or it might be a slight elevation, but it's not a much of an elevation. But that's a whole nother argument that I usually get into with Road Dog on the main show. But <laughs> either way, um, you know, the Undisputed Era for a long time, I thought, oh, they're never going to succeed on the on Raw or SmackDown. But they imagine what that stable could do for Two Hundred Five Live because they're all cruiserweights. I don't agree with that anymore because Two Hundred Five Live is dead in the water to me. Plus, Adam Cole, I think, has proven his worth that he could actually succeed. He's a main eventer. He ain't no Two Hundred Five Liver guy. I don't know if he's going to be a main event level guy in WWE, but I definitely think he can be a strong IC US title character can real and can contend for a world title. I just don't know if he's ever going to main event WrestleMania. I think Adam Cole can do that. I don't think the rest of Undisputed Era can. I think. Yeah, he'd be they're like it'd be, an evolution going to Cole be with be him like and they're going to succeed because of him or they're going to stay in NXT. It's something's going to happen. We'll see. But either way, the point is the Cruiserweight division it just seems useless to me at this point. You know, you could still have a feud with Santos Escobar and Legado del Fantasma and, and Swerve Scott. You can do that. They could contend for the North American title. They can contend for, you know, it'd be one thing if you didn't have a North American title. Just the Cruiserweight title could be kind of like the X Division title for TNA or Impact. It's that secondary title kind of meant for the smaller guys, but, you know, it's just kind of that, it's more of a mid-card title, right? It's like the it United States that, title, I think. you have the North... What's that? I think it's kind of like the United States title. Sure. Now, I can see that. But the point being, because you have a North American and you have a Cruiserweight title, this, it's almost like, why do you have three singles titles on a brand that isn't really that big to begin with? You know, I'd rather see more focus on the tag team division. I would have rather, instead of seeing a Cruiserweight title be defended at NXT, I'd rather see the, the women's tag team titles that get no attention on Raw or SmackDown get some attention on NXT because it can be defended on all three brands. Have that be on on TakeOver. I'd rather see a tag team match with the women, see more of the women's action on NXT than to see you know the Cruiserweight title defended. I thought the match was great. It's just, I don't know. It just seemed like it didn't belong here. I agree. Yeah, I mean, I do see that with your, I see your point with women's titles. The problem I have with the women's tag team titles, I don't think there's really enough depth in the women's division right now to make teams since most of the women on the in the division are kind of stagnant. Like you see women like Naomi and Carmella and all those and like Lacey Evans and well, Lacey Evans get more of a push now, but you see more of like um, Natalia is kind of dead in the water as well as Lana. Lana. You see, oh my God. You see all these kind of women's like women like that. And you're like, why, how could they form a tag division with Tamina. the roster that small? Oh my God. Yeah, Tamina hasn't done anything since she challenged Bailey for the title. And NXT that the, was out of left field too. That was way out there. Yes, I agree. Um, Especially the fact that like she hasn't been in action forever since then. I mean, I think that was her first action since what? Maybe WrestleMania or something, if I remember correctly. I th- I want to say, yeah, it's, it yeah. had been a minute with Tamina. Yeah, but there's, like but, I said, the, the NXT women's division's a little stronger. However, there's still not a lot going on there. I mean, I don't think the women's tag team titles came at the right time. I think they came at a time when the women's division was kind of stagnant. There was only like four or five women that could main event anything right now, like Becky, Charlotte, Bailey, Sasha, and... <clears throat> And all those yeah. other kind and of you, guys. And yeah. as you say that, you mentioned all four of the four horsewomen. Right. 
who have seemed to be the only women that WWE has ever promoted from NXT to Raw or SmackDown that have ever really fully been pushed. Asuka's just now really getting her due. And it was at a necessity because of Becky Lynch being pregnant and having to leave and, and, and disappear for a while. You know, Ronda Rousey got the push because well, for the she's Ronda Rousey. Ronda Rousey. Right. But as far as being raised up from developmental, it's only been Bailey. It's only been Sasha. It's only been Becky. It's ever seen any other woman really succeed. You know, Alexa Bliss yeah, kind of broke the mold. Other than Alexa. Bliss, I can't think of anybody else. And you see where she's at right now. I mean, she's a, a major character, but she's not that main level was Alexa Bliss ever going to main event a pay-per-view? Probably not. No. They saw her as a focal point of the division, but what did Charlotte and Sasha do? They main evented a pay-per-view. What did Charlotte and Becky and Ronda do? They main evented freaking WrestleMania, but it's always been a combination of the four horsewomen. And it seems like ever since they got called up, that's been the, the only women that really, truly, they stay in that kind of Roman Reigns kind of territory where they're always pushed. The John Cena territory where they're always a focal point. They're never forgotten. You know, Natalia gets forgotten. Naomi gets forgotten. You know, Tamina gets for, forgotten. Nia Jax gets forgotten. Freaking Shayna Baszler got forgotten for a while. I still haven't figured out what happened with her between WrestleMania and, well, maybe Money in the Bank. I think she was around for that. And then whenever she came back earlier this summer, I mean, it's it's look at Bianca Belair. It's like, where is she? She should be doing more than She's that. She's been on main event a lot the past couple of weeks, if I remember correctly. Right, which is like, really? That's what you're doing with Bianca Belair? She's the, one of the, the girl strongest who tore women. it up with Rhea Ripley in Portland and oh, takeover just, back in It was fantastic. Yeah, Bianca yeah, Belair is so, one of the most talented wrestlers, one of the most athletic wrestlers that, out on the women's division right now. She's up there with Naomi's athletic ability or Charlotte's athletic ability right now, probably better than Charlotte. Honestly, Bianca Belair is someone that should be pushed a lot more. Now that we're on the subject of the women's division, let's move on to the women's title match. Io Shirai versus Candice LeRae. Now that now that Johnny Gargano lost the North American title, it was kind of safe to assume that Candice was going to lose the NXT women's title to Io Shirai. Honestly, I think Candice needs a little bit more building up as a heel before she really starts really gets more in contention for the women's championship. But I do think that Candice did a fantastic job in her heel persona against Io Shirai in this match, especially when Johnny Gargano tried to get involved by trying to pull a Bailey and put a referee shirt on and trying to get the three count for his wife. But he, even with the fast count, Io Shirai still kicked out. But that match in general is a very good storytelling. But I just think it was just, I think that Johnny losing the North American title kind of gave too much away. See, now, going into that, I had kind of the other opinion of that. I thought, okay, they're not going to have them both win the title, but maybe that's because they Gargano's had his title runs. They want Candice LeRae to get the focus now. Maybe Johnny Gargano's going to be in that supporting role for Candice, his wife, as she's now you know, going to be the women's champion of NXT, and he's going to kind of help tilt things in her favor moving forward. They didn't go that route. Obviously, they keep the belt on Io Shirai, and we're looking – for a really bright future for what the NXT women's division could be. We'll talk about that in a second. But Candice LeRae, for me, and first of all, this match, I thought they had a pretty good match, but I, I don't know. They almost gave, they almost did too much. The whole spot with Johnny was just kind of dumb to me. Uh, it was just too much kind of, it felt like something I'd see on SummerSlam or, you know, Money in the Bank or a WWE, you know, a Raw or SmackDown pay per view. That it just, uh, it was just too. It's, it, it reminded me, honestly, it reminded me a lot of that Oscar uh, 
Oscar Sasha Banks match right. for the Raw Women's title that ended the way it did. It was the same kind of thing happening. Why is why do wrestlers all of a sudden feel like they can throw on a referee shirt and that means they're a referee? That makes no sense. So I didn't need to see that. I'm glad EO kept the title because I'm a big fan of EO Shirai. Um, I, here's the thing with Candice. They're trying to make her, you know, the same heel character to go with Johnny, but to me, Johnny's pulling it off great. He's doing a great job in his heel role. The thing with Candace is she's almost too nice to be a bad guy, you know, or bad girl, whatever you want to call her. It's like, even though she tries to be mean, I don't buy it. Like, I don't feel like, you know, she's making me mad at all. She's never getting under my skin. And I know she's done some dirty things, some underhanded things. They've had her do the thing with Tegan Knox and some things like that. But just her persona in general, it just doesn't work for me. At least not yet. And like you said, maybe she needs more development. Maybe they need to, to draw this out some more. Maybe she just needs to further develop it. Because yeah, so, I'm not, I have no idea about her. I know she was come from the independents, so just like Johnny. And I don't know if she's ever kind of been in that heel role before. I, I'm not so sure. I haven't seen any of her stuff. But, you know, maybe this is her first time of trying this role and she's got to really bring it out. And, and maybe it's going to take some time. But for me, it just ain't working yet. And I think that's probably why they didn't put the title on her. That and the fact that she's good in the ring, but I don't think she doesn't blow me away. Io Shirai is fantastic. Right. And there's on. So it's. Yeah, oh, go ahead. Okay. Um, so Candace, like you said, yeah, I agree. She does give off a lot of positive energy. Maybe it's that. Maybe it's because she's that blonde with a big smile kind of look. I think that she kind of gives you that warm and fuzzy feeling when you look at her smiling and all that. You know what I mean? It's like that kind of energy when you see her coming out. But yeah, I agree. I think that she does need, like I said before, she does need more development. But I think she's actually doing a pretty solid job as a heel with her, like going up at the Gargano way, like, like, off, going off of her husband doing the John, doing the Gargano way to win things. I think that's the way that she's going to do this until she really kind of nails her heel persona. But let's not let's get, go to the main point of this. After the match, Io Shirai is in the middle of the ring. Then we see Tony Storm cutting on the Titantron saying that she's back. Let's remember this. Tony Storm beat Io Shirai in the finals of the Mae Young Classic. To win a title opportunity for the I NXT about UK that. women's title. Tony Storm beat Io Shirai. So there is that history there. Tony Storm is also a former women's champion in NXT UK before dropping the title to Kaylee Ray. Then we have Ember Moon making a huge return to a big pop to the crowd or the virtual crowd. She was dealing with an Achilles injury, which I thought she was still dealing with. There was a lot of speculation that the Vignettes were Bo Dallas. There's a lot of people saying it's going to be Bo Dallas. Nobody suspected it was Ember Moon because they thought she was still hurt. But, man, when she took the helmet off and it's the war goddess, I lost my mind. I was like, oh, my goodness. We have just seen the new birth of the NXT Women's Division, and Ember Moon and Tony Storm coming for Io Shirai is going to make for some fantastic matches in the future and some great feuds coming forward. I am a big fan of Tony Storm. I, I love watching her in NXT UK. She had a great match with Rhea Ripley back at uh, the Worlds Collide event back in uh, January before Royal Rumble. Uh, she's fantastic. And if you haven't got a chance to check out NXT UK before, check out the WWE Network. I mean, it's Please good do. stuff. If you, if you like, I, here's what I'll say. You know, if you're a longtime NXT fan, of, you know, the beginning of, you know, going back to the early days of it being on the network and when, you know, a Bo Dallas was around and when Seth Rollins and Biggie Langston and some of these guys were developing Bailey and the whole women's revolution began there. 
it had a very gritty and you could tell it felt like these it wasn't as polished right and to me it now that it has grown and grown and grown now it's on usa network it's two hours now it feels like a regular wrestling show that you know yes it still has great wrestling and yes it's still a little gritty but it's almost polished it's really polished now as compared to what it used to be and to me nxt uk almost feels a little bit like the original version of nxt and i really like that because you get the hour-long show um you really get to see slow progression of storylines and characters that really build up to, there's a reason why the Bailey payoff when she finally won the NXT women's title from Sasha, uh, back at Brooklyn, the first ticket for Brooklyn show was so great. And so big of a moment because you got a slow progression, right? To seeing when she finally got over her, I don't know the word but when she was at dim, Sagan, she's that fangirl, I guess, is, is the way she was the fangirl. She was yeah, the fangirl. she was overwhelmed by her fan, her fangirlism, and would let it get the better of her, right? And she finally got past that. She was too nice, and then and, she and finally broke out of her shell. Exactly, but it took a long time to it get took there. A very and when it finally long time. did. It was a big, big moment, right? Yeah, and, and you kind of get to see a little NXT bit of that turned on. All of her friends in NXT, Becky Lynch and Sasha Banks, both turned on her when she was in NXT, yep. and now she Charlotte. finally gets. Oh, Charlotte too. Yes, exactly. The, all of them turned on Bailey, and then she finally got her moment when she won the thing. A couple of years later, took a long time, finally got there. Yes, that's the kind of buildup that characters need. And then when she got to the main roster, it all went to crap, and she's gone now. She's absolutely nothing but like a. Like just the stereotypical, like um, heel you oh you mean nothing to me, champion kind of thing. She's it's it's we could debate this. I sense that you don't like the current. I mean, I don't hate it. I think it's a good heat. She's a good heel, but I just don't. I think that her character just went dead in the water when she went to the main roster. But she kind of regained it as the heel. But I think it's kind of starting to wear down on me now. That's my thing on it. But anyway, back to NXT UK. My view on that is. I just love the crowd energy that the UK brings. Like you just hear all the chants going on in the UK that you, you know, when you see the WWE go to London every year or when NXT went to London for takeover, you had that huge crowd energy there. That is what you see every weekend in NXT UK. And that's what I love more than anything. It, I would say more than the wrestling, but that's what I love about NXT UK is just that crowd energy that they bring. No, absolutely. So uh, if you haven't seen that before, check it out. But Tony Storm was a major part of that. I'm happy to see her be in NXT because, uh, you know, that's another case. She kind of really dominated NXT UK for a while. She beat the original, the first ever champion, Rhea Ripley, for the title. And then eventually, as you mentioned earlier, lost it to Kaylee Ray. But, you know, what else could she have really done in NXT UK? It's good to see her now in NXT uh, to see what she can do there. As far as Ember Moon goes, I love Ember Moon. I've always been a big Ember Moon fan. I love, you know, love seeing her work in NXT from the get go. I was all about her being NXT Women's Champion. I would have liked to have actually seen her been the one to have beaten Asuka. That's the way somebody would have beaten Asuka in NXT, but they decided not to go that route. But she eventually did get her title run, which was good to see. That said, and I'm glad to see her back in NXT. Uh, that was a good surprise. But at the same time, <sighs> She wasn't what I was looking for for that reveal for that whole uh, vignette thing that they were doing. I, I know it would have been obvious for it to be Bo Dallas, but just the verbiage they used in it, you know, I, I built, I, you know, I think it was something along the lines of, you know, I helped, I was there at the beginning. I built, kind of built this up from the ground up. Right. 
Who does that describe? That was Bo Dallas. Or that other than who was already there, other than Bo Dallas. Who, when you look at somebody, look, we all saw him, what he could do in NXT. Yes, he was obnoxious. Yes, he was annoying as crap. And he was the NXT version of John Cena. He was that baby. He was pushed as a baby face to the point that the fans turned on him. But they actually did go eventually go with the heel run for him, which really helped get him even more over the top. Yes, you know, he's not exactly the prototypical. Bo Dallas didn't go out there and put on five-star matches like a Finn Balor can. But he put on entertaining matches, and he's somebody that never got his due. When they got up to when he got to roll, he it was just robbed. never worked with him. They they didn't know quite what to do with it. They, and it could be the fact that it just didn't translate to the to the mainstream fans, and that's entirely possible. And if that's the case, that's not necessarily creative's fault. Maybe maybe it's their fault because they didn't find another way to repackage him that worked. But to not be able to capitalize on that character that that whole Bo Leave thing, yeah. it didn't work. It worked in NXT. It, it didn't really work on Raw or SmackDown, but it's a guy that's doing nothing right now. I like feel he, like it, you know Curtis Axel's gone. You've got no B team. The Miz is dead. All the other little ways that what they did the thing with um, Heath Slater and yeah. Adam Rose. Yeah, it was I the um, what they were called Social Outcasts. The Social Outcasts, which again uh, that was that just was a nothing. way to package some guys together to throw. You know their characters were the lack of ways saying that they're, they're kind of crap. Well, right. you can't put lipstick on the crap and expect that to be more than still crap, right? So it's the same right. thing. It, it's just never worked for him on I, Raw or SmackDown. He's not doing anything now. Why not? That would have been a perfect way to reintroduce him to NXT fans to really do something with him because I feel like the guy's got a lot to offer. You hear um, his own father, Mike Rotunda, talking about that he's the better wrestler between him and Bray. Bray's got this great character, right? The Fiend's great. Right. And everything, the the Fire Five. Funhouse is great. The original version of Bray Wyatt was great. Yeah. And he's had some good matches. Oh, yeah. he's never been consistently having great matches. Whereas Bo Dallas can put on pretty consistently good matches. He's just got to be given the opportunity. I feel like they kind of overdid the Bowleave thing. I think they kind of did. They pushed it too much, if that makes any sense, when he got to the main roster because... They pretty much shoved it right down everybody's throat when he first came up. He would just keep doing the bow leaf speeches over and over and over again. Never really gave him a chance to, um, uh, I guess, kind of show off what he could really do. More so the fact that I think they more just wanted him just to say his catchphrase and get out of there. I, like, I think that's right. what really killed Bo Dallas. It's just they overdid it. They did the NXT. You know what he? Yeah, when he was. You in know NXT, what he really could have really, been? He, he could have been the new version of Kurt Angle. Yeah, that like, would have been. Yeah. That's what the Bo Leave character reminds me of is the the ditzy, uh, you know, three eyes Kurt Angle that debuted back in in late ninety nine two thousand. That right. before he kind of got that aggressive streak to him, he you know he was chicken crap for lack of a better way of saying that he, yeah. he cheated to win. He was running from from competition, but he thought he was the greatest thing since sliced bread. Same thing with that could have been with Bo Dallas. Obviously, Kurt Angle is a much better wrestler oh my God. than Bo Dallas, but Bo's yeah. a good wrestler. And could have gotten further. I just, I think they gave up on it too soon. I think they didn't give it enough time. Yeah, I think they kind of focused too much on the gimmick rather than the wrestling. But let's get back to the women's division. Ember Moon now with Macon. As you said, she was a fantastic wrestler. Love watching her. 
I'm very interested to see where they go from here, who they kind of give the first shot to, Tony Storm or Ember Moon, or if they put them against each other to give them a title shot, or they give them a triple threat match. There's a good amount of possibilities here, and I'm very excited to see what they do with this. Oh, I am too. Plus, I mean, <laughs> you talked about that it re- kind of reinvented the women's division there, but I mean, to me, the women's division is already pretty dadgum good down there. you still got Rhea Ripley down there. You've got... I know uh, you just lost Mia Yim and Mercedes Martinez to, to oh gosh, retribution. Yeah, but <laughs> you've got you got some other good women. I mean, Candace, like we said, Candace is not bad. Um, Shotzi Blackheart is really good. She's getting her I mean, push. And she's getting a lot there. of. Yeah, you've got a lot of good talent there already, and then you now you're adding Tony Storm. Now you're adding Ember Moon on top of that. I mean, you could really see this division go even further. And so, I mean, I could easily see. You know, you you maybe go one one route with either Tony or Ember going after EO. And the other, you know, Rhea Ripley having I would go for a Rhea Ripley Tony Storm match again any day of the week. They I would put love on to see great that. matches. You know, an Ember versus Rhea Ripley. I mean, you've got a lot of options. You still got Dakota Kai sitting there too. And we, I mean, she's not, not bad herself. Plus, you know, she's got that added bonus of having the the um, Raquel Gonzalez. Uh, what's her name? Raquel Gonzalez. Yeah, it's kind of her heater there. Um, sort of the diesel to her Shawn Michaels, and you've got that going there. So you've got a lot going on in that women's division that they just kind of add to it. Whether they, I mean, they honestly don't even have to go in the direction of Tony Storm or Ember Moon getting a shot right away at all. You could almost either put, like you said, put them against each other. You could send them off in other directions against other talent on that women's division roster and go from there because it's kind of, it reminds me a lot of. You know, they both come back at the same time. It's a lot like when the first episode of NXT, two-hour episode, I guess it was a two-hour episode, uh, on USA last year when they brought back both Finn Balor and Ciampa came back from injury. And it was like, okay, which one of those two is going to get the shot at Adam Cole first? Neither one of them got a shot at Adam Cole. They went into war games. So right. uh, I could see them doing something similar here because, you know, okay, you reintroduce them, but maybe you want to reestablish them first with a win against somebody else before they go after you. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, and I would definitely agree. To, I would love to see that as well. Now let's wrap things up. Now with the main event of the evening, it was Kyle O'Reilly getting his first singles opportunity at a singles title in his NXT career, going up against the Prince Finn Balor, who is the established NXT superstar, NXT two-time NXT champion. Kyle O'Reilly, you just forget how good of a wrestler he is and what he's caught up in the era. He's a tag team wrestler by trade. He's always been teaming up with Bobby, Bobby, Bobby Fish excuse me, in Redragon and back in his ROH days and especially with Roderick Strong when Bobby Fish got hurt in the Undisputed Era. But now that he broke out on his own, you really saw him come into his own. They pushed the fact that he was a big, big time MMA fighter and the Brazilian jiu-jitsu practice that he's done. I think that that Kyle O'Reilly did a fantastic job showing off his skills. He really showed us that he is, in fact, a a big-time contender for the NXT title contention. And also, I'm really interested to see where this goes from here now that we brought in the big man Ridge Holland into this when he brought out Adam Cole on his shoulder after the match was over. But he beat the hell out of Adam Cole somewhere backstage and just tossed him into the ring area and just ran off. I am very intrigued to see where this goes because I am very much a fan of Rich Holland. I love his power game. I love his skill. He's very aggressive in the ring with those nasty headbutts of his and tossing people around. His ex-rugby 
style kind of reminds me of when Cesaro first came out, how they portrayed him as an ex-rugby player who got banned from the league for being too aggressive. Oh, Antonio Cesaro, who lost the Antonio. Uh, <laughs> that was, uh, yeah, that was weird that they tried to, you know, portray that. I mean, it's, he's just a wrestler, right? But and he had those weird right little things Kyle. on his legs too. Yeah, yeah, there was a lot to be just shaking your head about about Cesaro back then. But he's developed obviously into a mainstay in the company. That's obviously good because he's fantastic. But yeah, Kyle O'Reilly's fantastic. And if you haven't already seen. You know, if you didn't know much about Kyle O'Reilly before NXT, obviously he's been a tag team wrestler the entire time. He's been a part of Undisputed Era and has been in NXT. Go out. Yeah, you could probably find it on YouTube. You can probably, if you're not, you know, don't want to subscribe to uh, ROH. Uh, I forget what their little subscription program is, but Kyle O'Reilly had a run there where he was ROH world champion. He had a run against Adam Cole. Adam Cole was the guy down in Ring of Honor for a long time before he ever got to NXT. And one of his big nemesis was Kyle O'Reilly, which if you really go far back in their uh, archives there, you'll see that Adam Cole and Kyle O'Reilly were actually a tag team when they debuted in ROH called uh, Future Shock that eventually split up. They both went singles routes. Eventually, Kyle O'Reilly started teaming up uh, with... uh, with Bobby Fish there, uh, but Adam Cole kept going singles route. Well, eventually Kyle O'Reilly became that other nemesis to Adam Cole down the road for the ROH title. Had a tremendous match at Final Battle 16, I think it was, um, at that uh, when Kyle O'Reilly won the title, and it was a big moment. And you know he's been able to always prove that man, that guy can go. He's got the ability. He's got that. Yeah, he's got that MMA kind of mixed in there, uh, which to me it just adds to it. Man, let me tell you about this match. You could just feel <laughs> these kicks and these moves that these guys were doing to each other. There's a reason why we found out after the match that both Finn Balor was getting x-rayed for potential hurt, you know, like a fracture in his face or a broken jaw, and Kyle O'Reilly had Broke maybe his teeth. teeth knocked out. Yeah, exactly. You Both guys were bleeding from the mouth. These guys literally over. beat the absolute hell out of each other out there. Exactly. There's, you want to know what realism is in wrestling? Well, I mean... That's about as real as you can get right there. You know what it shows me? Now, you want to go really deep into this. Obviously, before WWE, Finn Balor was a big star in Japan for, for new Japan as Prince Debit. And that's kind of that style wrestling. It's over there. So the reason why it's called strong style, these guys, when they beat each other up pretty stiff through these matches, there's a reason why when matches end, especially long ones that they have guys come out with ice packs and immediately apply it to the right. wrestlers in the match. They, I mean, you know, in, in the States, they have a match. You go to the back. No, the, in, in Japan, they're, they're like immediately trying to ice these guys down because they've legitimately been kicked. I mean, this isn't, you know, they might not be giving them a hundred percent. There are no leg slaps or something like that. This kind of fake ass leg slaps. At least, right. It feels real because it kind of is real. Well, Kyle O'Reilly had a lot of time in Japan too. So I'm feeling like this match, the reason why it felt so stiff and so hard hitting is because they channeled their Japanese uh, backgrounds that they've had. And that really added to this match. And really, I mean, whoo, it got Kyle O'Reilly, Kyle O'Reilly over big. Uh, to me, as just a legitimate threat. I didn't think, I never saw him winning this match. It was too early for that. The one thing I would have liked to have seen, and I can't fault him for it because the the COVID outbreaks, I think, may have rushed Kyle O'Reilly being in this situation Uh, because Triple H, I think, referenced it in one of his media calls prior to the show that 
you know, he wanted to get a bigger, a little bit better build for Kyle going into his first title shot, but necessity, you had to kind of push it, get there sooner. So you do the best you can, right? I would have liked to have seen a bigger build for Kyle O'Reilly to the point where fans are like, okay, so he is kind of established himself as a main event level guy or as a singles guy. Okay, let's get behind him, right? Instead, it was kind of like, oh, well, that kind of came out of nowhere. He won. Well, I guess we could get behind that, right? Let's see what he can do. And so to me, it could have been a bigger situation. It might have been made more sense at that point if you'd have built him up for him to win a title like the NXT title. But it was a little too early for me for him to win it. I'm glad he didn't, but I'm glad that he got a chance to show on a big stage like TakeOver and just in a great match against Finn Balor what he could really do. Now the question is, where do they go from here? I'm kind of curious to see that because this is going to be like the era going up against one huge dude. That's where I see this going, but there has to be more to it. There has to be more people with Rich Holland. There has to be like a stable of some sort. Like maybe you bring over a couple guys from UK who aren't doing anything, but we'll see. I'm thinking, I have a theory. Yeah, that's it. What, look, well, go ahead. Intrigue me. I want to hear this. Okay. So the rumor that I saw this week before the show was that they are looking into splitting up the Undisputed Era, that yeah, Kyle O'Reilly's going to be firmly established as a babyface. And so Adam is Cole, Cole's I think. I think it's going to stay gonna there, be, yeah. but that Fish and Strong are going to stay heels, likely as a tag team. Okay, well, perhaps what we're seeing here is that Rich Holland could be a part of a newer version, not called the Undisputed Era, but a new faction that involves some of Undisputed Era, because we don't know how Adam Cole got jumped. Always, always Rich Holland carry him out there. We never saw anybody else in that match come out because there was no interference. For all we know, storyline-wise, Roderick Strong and Bobby Fish could have been behind it because they could be teaming up with Rich Holland. Here's the motive. Adam Cole made a point to go out and say, I believe in Kyle O'Reilly, and I think he can get it done, and nobody deserves it more than him. Well, what is Roderick Strong and Bobby Fish sitting back there thinking? Well, hey, we're, we're part of your group, too. Why don't you support us? So I could see if they really want to split this group up, offshooting half of Undisputed Era into a new stable that could be Bobby Fish, be Roger Strong, and a Rich Holland, and potentially a heel Finn Balor because you brought him in, sort of went that route, except the fans didn't want to root for Johnny Gargano anymore. So Finn Balor basically turned babyface by default and has still kind of been that babyface, even if he's kind of that, he's a little heel-ish. Maybe you go full on heel with this new faction led by Finn, Rich Holland, and the two other members of Undisputed Era, Strong and Fish, going up against the new babyfaces of Adam Cole and Kyle O'Reilly. That's a very interesting theory, actually. Um, I kind of think that would be a good way to go about it. Cause that's like CM Punk when he took over the Nexus. He took the entire Nexus with them, and Wade Barrett took off like Heath Slater, Justin Gabriel, and and there was one more, and he formed the core. It's kind of like that little break oh, off. Gosh. Yeah, it's like I think that's that's kind of the way that I could compare that to. But the match itself between O'Reilly and Finn Balor, I think the best way for me to describe that would be a chess match. I th- they just kind of went tit for tat on all counters and submissions and technical mat style. I think that was the best way to describe it is it just a chess match, but a lot more physical. Oh, well, yeah. I don't know, though. Have you have you ever got to do it in an intense chess match where you just wanted to take your king and just hit the other guy in the head with it? Or just like turn, just got- just shine it up real nice, turn it sideways and stick it straight up as candy. You know what? Well, yeah, yeah, you could. 
I mean, things could get really intense depending on how serious of a chess player you are. Unfortunately, I was part of the chess club in high school, so I wouldn't know. But nah, um, me neither. <laughs> I, I, I just had, I heard things. Oh yeah, I can, I hear things get pretty intense. I mean, Bobby Fischer probably got into a couple of skirmishes when he was in his younger days. But um, yeah, that was that was just the way to portray those two wrestlers in particular. I think that was the best way to match their styles, just to do kind of a very physical chess match between them two and just create such a fantastic NXT title match and the addition with Rich Holland coming in. It just makes things much more interesting going forward. I'm looking forward to see what they do on Wednesday to follow us up. Here's the one thing. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see where we go, but did that feel a little out of place, though? with Rich kind of bringing him out there at the end, was it necessary to do it at the end of a takeover, or could you have not done that on an NXT episode? To me, it just felt like I get what they were trying to do because they've done this before where you feel like the show is over, and then all of a sudden some swerve happens, like right. when Ciampa took Gargano and threw him and into, the chucked set, into the set. into the set, yeah. DIY split up. That was the most heartbreaking when, moment in NXT history right there. Exactly, and we've seen other ver- variations of that over the years. It's been almost like a trademark of of takeover events, but <laughs> I feel like you could have done something a little different here. That just seemed really, I don't know. It, it was out of left field. I even like my wife sitting there watching the show with me, and she's like, "Wait, the show's over now." I'm like, "Yeah, <laughs> wait I'm for like, it." Well, it ended like that. I'm like, "Yeah, that was kind of weird." Like that. I get that they're going for the cliffhanger aspect of it, and I think it can lead to some cool things. I just wonder if the placement of it being at the end of TakeOver was was good here. It was a bit odd. Yes, I agree, but I do like what they did. I, li- I like it personally because I like Ridge Holland. I loved watching him at action in the UK and then bringing him over to the main NXT roster and to see what he can do there. I just I was really hoping that he would get he was going to go further in that tournament that they had when um they were trying to find the number one contender because I would have loved to see Ridge Holland in that uh, I think it was the ladder match for the North American title or whatever they did that those little matches and then they did a second chance match. I wanted to see Rich Holland go into the ladder match because seeing him in a match like that would have been fantastic to watch his rough housing and his brutal style just to see in that particular match. But overall, NXT TakeOver 31. Final thoughts, Chris. What did you think of it overall? I thought it was a great show. Well, I thought it was a really good show. I think it was definitely a step up from TakeOver 30, which... I mean, had some good moments, but I think it was almost, I don't know, too storyline driven for me and just kind of fell flat. 31 was much better, a step in the right direction, more like the the takeovers of old. Um, and I'm looking forward to, I think the next one is uh, Halloween December. Havoc. Well, the ha- Halloween Havoc is the next, I guess, weekly special that they're doing because I think the date of that is a Wednesday. October 28th. So it's going to be a special edition of NXT. But the next takeover if I remember seeing correctly, it's going to be like a week after Survivor Series. Yeah, it's usually so like doing Survivor Series around the weekend. big four. Yeah, they usually put one in there. I think Survivor Series may be the next one, yes. Yeah, so Survivor Series is late uh, late November, and I think that would be takeover a war is either games a week following or two. It should be War Games, theoretically, unless they're doing something different this year. It typically has been the War Games, so we're looking at either late November, early December for, for the next takeover, but uh, you got a long time to build to that. And um, I feel like, I don't, I don't know, maybe they can get on track. And as far as what they're building to, um, I don't know if they're going to be able to ever really gain any ratings grounds with AEW. I know that they're still going head to head there and for the foreseeable future, which, you know, we've had discussions on Finish You Move Live on Extra 1063 every Thursday from 6 to 8 p.m., by the way. Cheap pop. Um, 
Yep. So, yep. I got to chug. I got to chug. Got to plug the show. Um, but, you know, we talked a lot about whether or not NXT really needs to remain head to head with AEW. And I think we can all agree as much fun as the Wednesday Night Wars is, it would do better for really both shows, but especially for NXT to not be on Wednesdays. You could put them on Thursday. You could put them on Tuesday. It really doesn't matter. They would do better. But um, as far as the brand and where it's headed right now, as far as an entertainment standpoint as a fan, I'm liking what we're seeing right now. I am too, Chris. This is definitely what we've been hoping to see when NXT really made it big. All right, everyone. Well, that will do it for the first episode of the Other Guys podcast. Make sure to check out Chris on his Twitter. Chris, can you give us a little Twitter plug for us? It's the same as it always has been for the last 300 plus days, I think, at Bearded Colwell, even though Big John and Road Dog like to give me crap for it. Because when I first started the show, I did change my name about three times but it has remained the same at bearded cole and the show itself you can follow us at wrestle extra and you can also follow me on twitter at intern david 680 a little bit of an inside thing back when i first started here i was gonna say are you still an intern not anymore back when i was in 680 chuck oliver always used to call me david the intern and it just stuck i thought just sticking with it i thought that'd be a good thing a little bit of an inside joke there but yeah follow me on twitter at intern david 680 Thank you, Chris Colwell, for joining me here on this podcast. That will wrap things up for us. For for Chris Colwell, I am David Holloway. Make sure to tune in to The Finishing Move on 106.3 Sports Extra on every Thursday nights at 7 p.m. Also, we will catch up later. We will post a link to this podcast on our Twitter feeds and all other social medias as well. Also on all your podcast platforms and also and spotify stitcher all those good ones indeed thank you all for joining us this evening this is david holloway saying good night and we'll see you on the next episode